This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Law is more than the policeman on the corner. More than the courthouse where our laws are enforced. More than the jail where lawbreakers are punished. In your whole community, there are customs and moral codes which guide your actions. What social controls affect you? I've sat through this, I've waited for this, and this jury just told me, you were sexually assaulted, but you weren't raped. This is Life of the Law. I'm Stephanie Hughes. This episode is about rape. It contains graphic language. And using that graphic language is kind of the point. It helps us better understand what the word rape means. But that meaning changes depending on where you are. In some places, what we may think of as rape isn't called that at all. It was August of 2011. Lydia Cuomo was 25 years old. She lived in New York City, in Upper Manhattan. She had just gotten a job teaching second grade, and it was her first day of work. Cuomo was planning to get a ride to school from her principal, who lived nearby. We were meeting at 6.15. Um, I left my apartment early, like eager beaver, super excited, first day of work. Gorgeous summer day, like I left from my apartment and walked probably 10 minutes to her apartment. At that point, someone came up to me and asked me for directions to the one train which is not a weird thing in New York. I think people ask you for directions to the subway all the time. It didn't throw me off guard at all in the beginning. The second time he said something to me, something was off, and he was like a little too close to me and was like, oh, you're going to come with me. I said no and stepped back, and then he lifted up his shirt and showed me he had a gun. I think, I mean, I don't really know my thoughts. He, like, put his arm around me, took his gun out, pressed it up against my waist, told me I was coming with him. I shouted... Then his gun was like pressed into me and he was like, shut the fuck up or I will fucking shoot you. Um, he walked me to like going to go down an alleyway and I sort of stopped, like my knees buckled. And I offered him everything I had, any jewelry I was wearing, my cell phone, my wallet, and like tried to like hold on to this little piece of a fence. Uh, when he said no and didn't want any of my things, I knew pretty clearly I was going to be raped. Um, and there's really no other alternative, I think, at that point. So he ushered me into this little alleyway um, and raped me. The perpetrator was off-duty police officer Michael Pena. He penetrated Cuomo, vaginally, anally, and orally. You might think all three of those acts are rape, but New York state law only considers one of them to be the vaginal penetration. The other two are called criminal sexual acts in the state's legal code. Police arrived. They arrested Pina. Cuomo went to the hospital and then the police station. When the day was over, she went to stay with family, north of the city. The first two weeks were sort of just like 
I was in a shell. I cried all the time. It was, you know, I think everyone wanted me to move home and just be like, okay, you're going to come home now. Like, um, which is not my style. And I just couldn't, you know, I'd worked so hard to get my job. I was like, I really can't, I really don't want to give it up. I've worked really hard. I'm like, I'm going to go back. Cuomo started teaching. Her case went to trial seven months later, in March of 2012. The jury was considering a variety of charges. Criminal sexual act, which is the forced oral and anal contact. They were also considering the rape charge, the vaginal penetration. And Pina threatened Cuomo with a gun during the attack, which meant he was also charged with predatory sexual assault. While deliberating, the jury kept returning to one particular point. And they kept going back to having them read the legal definition of rape. I think they asked for it twice. The jury found Pena guilty of the criminal sexual act and sexual assault charges, but they deadlocked on the charge of rape. In other words, they believe that Pena's penis made oral and anal contact with Cuomo, but they couldn't agree on whether she'd been vaginally penetrated. When they announced the verdict, Cuomo said she just lost it. That's when it hit me that, like, oh my God, I've sat through this, I've waited for this, and this jury just told me, you were sexually assaulted, but you weren't raped. The jury said Cuomo was sexually assaulted but not raped under New York law. To understand how they reached that conclusion, we actually need to go back a long way. Because the word rape goes back a long way, to the earliest criminal codes. It's in the Bible, the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy. Here's the passage from the New International Version. If out in the country a man happens to meet a young woman pledged to be married and rapes her, the man who has done this shall die. If a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married and rapes her, and they are discovered, he shall pay her father 50 shekels of silver. He must marry the young woman, for he has violated her. In many ways, it was the theft of the value of virginity and the prospect that she would bring a bride price when she became married. She was no longer worth that bride price if she was not a virgin. Michelle Anderson is the dean of the law school at the City University of New York. She's a scholar of rape law. So you would think, wow, this is a, this is a long time ago. It hasn't influenced um, our law. But in fact, Deuteronomy was cited in American colonial, uh, the first rape laws in, of the American colonies. Um, many of these codes reference Deuteronomy explicitly. Here's an excerpt from one of the earliest colonial rape laws, printed in 1643. If any man shall forcibly and without consent ravish any maid or woman that is lawfully married or contracted, he shall be put to death. Colonial laws morphed into state laws. For hundreds of years, rape in the U.S. was defined only as forced vaginal penetration. So only women could be victims and those who were found guilty faced heavy penalties. Take the state of Michigan as an example. Michigan has no death penalty, but it was life imprisonment. That's Virginia B. Nordby. In the early 1970s, she was teaching a course on women in the law at the University of Michigan. She says very few people were convicted of rape in those days. Any jury that had any concerns whatsoever about any aspect of the case felt very reluctant to commit a person to life imprisonment. And so it was, it, became, it was almost impossible to get a conviction in those days. Michigan's law was not that far off from what had been written in Deuteronomy. A victim wasn't required to be a virgin exactly, but defense attorneys could bring in a woman's sexual history as evidence against her. That, that was one of the biggest things, that the defendant could infer 
that, that this victim was really just asking for it and was a slut and went around uh, having sex with other people and that she was not to be trusted. The victim became the person who was on trial in many, many cases. And so we began this investigation of the law, the history of the law, what, was, what might be wrong with the law, and how it might be improved. This investigation was happening in the wake of the Women's Movement for Equal Rights. That includes the ERA, or Equal Rights Amendment. Congress passed it in 1972. Even though the amendment was never ratified, it made women like Nordby take note of the lack of equality in Michigan's rape law. So they began drafting a new one. They changed the rules of evidence. A victim's sexual history with third parties was no longer allowed in court. They included forced oral and anal penetration as offenses. That meant it applied to male as well as female victims. It was a full-on reform of the law, and part of that reform meant leaving the word rape behind. It seemed like only by getting rid of the word rape uh, could we, could we cha completely change the attitude of people about this crime. And so it was proposed by the legislature that we use the term criminal sexual conduct. It's conduct that's being prohibited here. So all forced vaginal, oral, and anal penetration were called criminal sexual conduct. The Michigan legislature passed the bill. The law took effect in 1975. The word rape had been removed from the code. It was the first reform of its kind in the country. It got passed rather quickly, and so that caught the attention of a lot of people working on reform in their own states. Other states went on to change their own laws. Many left out the word rape. For example, in Florida, it's called sexual battery. In jurisdictions controlled by the federal government, it's called sexual abuse. In total, 25 states have stopped using the word rape. But it's not known if eliminating the word resulted in more convictions. It's hard to tease out just the change in name because so many other things accompanied it. Cassia Spohn is a professor of criminal justice at Arizona State University. She studied how the reform of rape law has impacted six cities across the country. She interviewed judges and prosecutors. You know, one prosecutor actually said, I think that changing the name to sexual assault sugarcoated the offense. The prosecutor felt that jurors understood what rape was. They weren't as sure what sexual assault or criminal sexual conduct was. Spohn published her study in 1991. She also looked at whether jurisdictions with strong rape law reforms had higher conviction rates. She found that they did not, at least at that point in time. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. In New York, they kept the word rape, but it didn't include all sexual crimes. Just like in Deuteronomy, rape is considered only forced vaginal penetration forced oral and anal contact are called criminal sexual act. That brings us back to Lydia Cuomo. Her attacker, Michael Pena, was found guilty of criminal sexual act and predatory sexual assault, but not of rape. All three of those charges carry equally heavy penalties. Pena was sentenced to 75 years in prison, but Cuomo said she still wanted him convicted of rape. It was great. He was going away for the rest of his life. But I wanted him going away as a rapist, as a convicted rapist, not a sex offender. Pina pled guilty to rape rather than face a retrial. Knowing finally, like, I just got the guilty conviction was, 
an incredible moment. And I'm very lucky with how everything turned out. And unfortunately, a lot of women don't have the same luck that I do. Cuomo thought it was ludicrous that New York defines rape only as forced vaginal penetration. For her, the rape started when she was forced to perform a sexual act she didn't want to do. The first thing he did was, you know, force me to perform oral sex on him with a gun pointed to the side of my head. And for me personally, that was almost harder for me to get over than the vaginal rape. I mean, I was vomiting. There was vomit in my mouth. I was, like, swallowing. I was crying. It was the worst thing. And, I mean, that was a lot harder for me. Again, in New York State, forced oral sex is not legally considered rape. It's called criminal sexual act. If that had been the only piece that had happened, right, if he had not then vaginally penetrated me as well as anally, it would still be just as hard. I think the problem with that is it would have been harder for me to talk about because it's not called rape and because it's, you know, sort of like hidden in the closet and you don't talk about it. Just being like, oh, I was sexually assaulted, I think it would have been a lot harder for me. I wouldn't have wanted to come out. I wouldn't have felt as open, and which is weird because that was definitely the hardest piece for me. Cuomo wasn't the only person who found the New York state law inadequate. New York Assemblywoman Aravella Simotas heard about Cuomo's case and wanted to change the law. She proposed a bill that would expand the definition of rape to include oral and anal contact. Here she is speaking at an Albany press conference in February 2013. Calling rape by any other name rejects the true nature of the crime and literally adds insult to injury when it comes to the victim's trauma. The Rape is Rape Bill defines rape in the first, second, and third degrees, not just as sexual intercourse, but as oral sexual conduct, anal sexual conduct, and aggravated sexual conduct. The bill was supported by Cuomo and groups including the Stop Abuse Campaign, which works to educate the public about abuse. Andrew Willis is the CEO. He joined Simotas at the press conference. I was raped when I was 10 years old. I wouldn't have been raped if it had happened here in New York because I cannot be raped here in New York under current legislation. The bill didn't pass this session of the legislature, but Simotas plans on sponsoring it again next year. For Cuomo, the issue is much bigger than how we talk about rape in the courtroom. It's all the taboos she has to overcome, just to describe what happened to her. The more I've been talking about it and things, I'm way more comfortable with that language. Um, you know, it's weird because it's like, you know, you don't ever think, like, anal is going to be a word you say in front of your dad a lot. Um, <laughs> but, like, unfortunately, like, it happens. And, like, you know, it's there's nothing I can do to change what happened. And I'm not going to, like, beat around the bush or not talk about it because, like, I was anally raped. And um, I think it needs to be said. And I think it's important to be said. And it's not like my dad doesn't know what happened. I don't think he likes talking about it any more than I do. But it's the honest truth. And I think... I think a lot can come from calling things for what it is and talking more openly about it. So what we're really talking about here is more than just semantics. We're talking about how we, as a modern society, understand what rape is. States that stopped using the word did so with good intentions. They wanted survivors of sexual attacks to receive justice from prosecutors, judges, and juries. But in doing so, they took away the power of survivors to legally call what happened to them rape. In places like Michigan, where all sexual crimes are called the same thing, just not rape, maybe that works. In places like New York, where the term rape describes one specific act, the public receives mixed messages about just how bad all sexual crimes really are. And whether we call it rape or something else, we all tend to shy away from frank discussions about what happens during a sexual attack. No matter what the act is called, 
maybe the most important thing is that we do talk about it, both in the media and with each other. For Life of the Law, I'm Stephanie Hughes. This episode of Life of the Law was produced by Nancy Mullane, Shannon Heffernan, Julia Barton, Caitlin Prest, and Ashley Ann Creekbaum. Music by Kyle Kaplan. Our web editor is Mary Adkins. Financial support comes from the Open Society Foundations, with special thanks to Thomas Hilbank. For more on this story and others on the legal system, visit our website at lifeofthelaw.org. Hi, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair. And we are the Mashup Americans. The Mashup Americans. <laughs> uh, think of us as your guide to the hyphen America world we live in. Are you first generation Korean American married to a Colombian Mexican American and making beige babies? Us too. Or do you speak three languages and eat Salvador and pupusas at Shabbat? Is Spanglish your best language? That's me. <laughs> uh, Spanglish is definitely your best language. Yeah, it was kind of a problem in graduate school. <laughs> eh, don't worry about it. We're, we're done with that. So we've got a new show here on the awesome Infinite Guest Network. You can go search for Mashup Americans in your favorite podcast app and check it out. We've got a great story about the mashup life of Donald Trump. Oh, and I just went to Margaret Cho's house to Netflix and chill. Kind of. <laughs> oh, my God. Vamos, let's do this. As we like to say, get to know yourself, America. <laughs>